Look around. The sound of the trees blowing by, the lush oasis you once called home, was your inheritance from the beginning. You manifest Christ-likeness not because you try, but because you have become one with God. The fruit grows on the vine according to its design. So you too, as you abide in the vine, will bear fruit according to the one whose life has become your own. Where shadows don't exist. That place will be made for Hey everyone, welcome to the Braveheart Podcast and welcome to The Garden. Our heart behind this podcast is to produce gospel-centered content that helps bring freedom to those who are feeling stuck. Whether you're feeling stuck in your relationship with the Lord, or you're feeling stuck in sin, or you feel stuck and hindered from growing up into Christ-likeness, our goal is to produce gospel-centered content that focuses on Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what it means to actually live out of the power of the cross and walk in the freedom that he made a way for us to walk in. And The Garden is a 12-week series that we're currently in where we're going back to the garden and exploring the gospel message from the very beginning. This is actually the last episode of the series, so if you haven't already, make sure to go back and listen to the first one, which is called The Garden. And we highly recommend listening to them in consecutive order as they do kind of build off of each other. So like I said, this is the last episode. And if you've listened to all the other ones, then enjoy this last episode of the series. All right, all right. Let me pray for us and we'll we'll hop in here. Father, thanks for... uh, so much god for just speaking to us and uh lord we just confess that our heart's desire uh lord is to bear so much fruit for you and bring you glory and god i pray that uh, somehow through this this short time together lord that you would uh god encourage us you would exhort us you would uh, equip us and you would empower us by your grace um lord we want to we want to bear fruit and that fruit looks like souls coming to know you yes. and, uh, and, and being born again and being born into your family and, and, and reconciling them, reconciling others to you as well. And so, Lord, let our lives be a reflection of who you are. Uh, Lord, give us vision even through this study on fruit, this section, Lord, that you would give us, God, a renewed vision of what Christian ministry Uh, is all about. Help us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is our 12th and final segment of Back to the Garden. It's been amazing. Um, So what I love about this is that where this study ends is what I feel like most people care about and what most people talk about, um, which is fruit. Um, And I love that word, fruit, uh, and we'll, we'll dive into that in a second. But um, 
I, I've shared some of this with you guys, but like I grew up and my understanding of Christian ministry was not fruit. It was, it was, it was work. Um, now work can be fruit. Some work is fruit, but not all fruit is work. Right. And so my, my hope, my endeavor is to paint a picture of what ministry looks like, whether you're a worship leader, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a mom, whether you're a businessman, doesn't matter what you do. Full-time ministry is being a son or daughter of God, living in the glory of God and your life bearing fruit. Now the fivefold, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, those are the gifts that Jesus gives to the body to strengthen the body, right? But every believer, I believe, is to do the work of ministry. We've gotten that really messed up. If, if I'm an evangelist, my job is to equip you in evangelism, is, is to equip you to do the work. And in the church, we've flipped it. We've said, Pastor, we want you to do all the work. We want you to have all the ideas. We want you to, to have all the spiritual connection, the closeness to God. When in reality, and then the pastor likes that because there's a sense of importance and significance. When biblically, the fivefold leadership was meant to come underneath the body and say, Hey guys, you're the front lines. You're the all stars. You're the ones that go and do it in the marketplace as a mom, as a dad, as a businessman, as a singer, as a musician. Like, go and manifest to the world that Jesus is glorious and that your life is a testimony that you've been made one with him. Because how many of you know, like I'm, I'm in full-time ministry, but if you took me and put me behind a, a uh, espresso machine, I could manifest the glory of God as a barista. I could show people that God is good. Like I, my identity isn't the fact that I, I teach or I preach. It's that I'm a son of God. So you can put me anywhere. You can put me, I used to work at a bankruptcy law firm. I used to play professional soccer. In those areas, I manifested the goodness of God as well as I could in those seasons of my life. And so I want to paint a picture and a vision that, that Christian ministry is the fruit or the byproduct of being made one with God and that you do not need a platform or social media followers or, or any of that to be in ministry. Now, some of you may be called to serve the body and that's different. You may be called to one of those fivefold positions where you go, man, I'm actually called to lay my life down that where I'm going to give up my needs or certain things I could do and want to do, but I'm not because I'm going to lay my life down for the body of Christ. That's to me a call to the fivefold ministry. If you feel that you carry that and that's beautiful and that's amazing. Uh, my heart is to, is to help paint a picture though for all the other believers. Cause that's a small percentage of the body of Christ are those fivefold the big percentage of who's supposed to be doing the work and how the world's going to be reconciled to God is what we did last sec section about John 17. The world will know that Jesus has been sent and that we carry his glory and that he loves them when we're perfectly one with him. Okay. So the fruit of our union will start here is that the world knows Jesus. That's the fruit of our union. <coughs> And as Christians, as followers of Christ, that should be our desire. We want the world to know that Jesus loves them. And biblically, one of the primary ways we do that is a living experiential union with Christ. That's why that last section is so important. That's why this whole study is so important is because it gives us context and understanding and faith to live and abide in that reality. 
Um, so we're going to look at John 15 today. Um, this is the famous verse, uh, the famous passage on abiding in Jesus. Um, I'll tell you, this used to really frustrate me um, because it seemed too simple. The, the simplicity of what Jesus was saying and the magnitude of what would happen through such, a, through such little what seemed like activity uh, really bothered me. I know how to work. I like working. I like, I like business. I like entrepreneur because rocks are hard, water's wet. That's simple for me. I like that. Jesus in this John 15, if we're really honest with ourselves, this, this, this text is bothersome because he's, he's painting a picture of our flesh doing very, very little and the result being very, very much. I'm, help, I'm gonna help you read this. Okay, I don't think y'all got that. He, let's read it, let's read it. <clears throat> Jesus said this, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now this is this is a lot, and there's there's a lot in here, but I want to touch and highlight on a few things. Um, let's start in the beginning. So Jesus is painting this picture of of a vine and branches and and grapes, and that they were probably grapes. And he's probably walking by a a vineyard of some kind, and he sees this thing, and he starts teaching based on what he sees. So he's trying to articulate a spiritual reality in the natural. Okay. This, Jesus did this all the time, but this is amazing. So he's saying, guys, um, 
FYI, I'm the vine, I'm the source of life, but you guys are the branches. So even in this John 15, he's articulating union. He's saying, you're so connected to me, you can't, there's, we're different, but we're the same. The branch itself doesn't have source of life, but it receives life from the vine, right? You see that the picture he's painting? Now, he's, he's, he's setting the stage. He goes, I'm the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So he's saying, my father is actually the one who's responsible for both the vine and the branch. Step number one, Christianity 101. You are not responsible for your own spirituality. The evidence that Christians have taken full ownership of their growth in God is evidence that we don't understand the new covenant. The weight you feel and the pressure you feel to have more relationship with God, to do more, to read your Bible more, that that it all rests on what you do is evidence that you don't understand the new covenant. That's not a condemnation. That's not a... That's just a that's, a, that's a reflection on, we have our Father in heaven who is responsible for this union that we have through Jesus. That's the picture he's painting. Is that what he means when he says, like, bless her, you have a spirit? Help me. I think you could tie that in for sure. That that when it comes to, we are bankrupt when it comes to our ability to get right with God and to abide in God. That it that our 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 being born again and our growth into His image, it flows one hundred percent from who He is and, and and what we've now been born into. And so a huge part of what I believe we need is a renewal of the mind to this environment that we've been born into called the new covenant. Because so much of the life and fruit that we're meant to experience comes from resting, Hebrews, the Sabbath rest of God, where we're resting in the new covenant and we're resting from our works because he rested from his works. Now, resting from works means, in the context means I'm resting from working to get to a place of connection with God. For the Christian, you were meant to live every day for the rest of your life in connection with God. This doesn't mean that your behavior is perfect. You can still, there's still massive room for weakness and to grow up in God and sanctification and all that. It just means you don't do it alone. You do it from a place of connection. And I think one of the biggest things we need in the body is to not allow our weaknesses to defile our conscience or sinful habits or patterns to go man, I'm no longer abiding in the vine because of this sinful habit or pattern, and go, wait a minute, if I have a branch in me that's not bearing fruit or that's bearing bad fruit, I have a father who's covenanted to prune that off of me. But what we've done in the church is you take responsibility for that wicked branch. You take ownership of that. You need to do X, Y, and Z to get that branch off of your life problem with that is you can take ownership of that and it'll never go anywhere. The only way that'll come off is if the very life and substance of Jesus Christ from the vine, His purity, His goodness, His gentleness, His self-control, 
manifests in that branch. And the Father goes, yeah, let's prune that. And in its place, a Christ-like branch is going to come forth. This is how your sanctification works. Can I read this quote on sanctification? Watch this. This is amazing. Sad it is that so many of the most earnest souls are looking in the wrong direction for sanctification. It comes not along any path outside of us. It journeys by the inward way. It is by the yielding up of the nature to the indwelling Christ that true holiness is achieved. Isn't that awesome? That your sanctification comes from Christ within. I think that's so cool. All right, so watch this. So, so Jesus is setting the stage. He says, guys, my, my dad's the vine dresser. I'm the vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So there's a taking away and there's a pruning that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This is important. He's saying your, your union with me, your connection to the vine is, is because there's a cleanness. I've, I've made you clean by the word I've spoken to you. So, so many Christians don't understand their union with God because they don't know that we are clean by what He's spoken, by His life. Your union with God, your spiritual union with God has to be, you have to be as pure and righteous and holy as He is in spirit. Otherwise, you cannot have union. If the Lord is one spirit with you and me, which we talked about last section, then He has to, in some manner, make our spirits as pure and righteous and holy as Jesus Christ. Can you imagine Jesus' spirit being unified with a sinful spirit? Is that possible? So you can't have it both ways. You can't be a sinner and be unified with the Lord in spirit. We're double-minded about this in the church, and it's got to go. You cannot. You're, you're either born again, and your spirit's been made righteous, now, what, here's where people appeal, and they, and they bristle at this. Why? Because they say, well, you're telling me I'm righteous and pure and holy as Jesus, but what I'm doing is not pure and righteous and holy. And what they do is they prove that their mind is set on the flesh, what they do. And God says, but the just shall live by faith. So that righteousness, there's a spiritual union, and you have to know 100% that your spirit is as righteous as Jesus Christ. And that's a gift. So that cleanness, that righteousness is the connect point between you and God. And everything else in your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your actions will flow from the source of life and love of that spiritual union. If you disqualify that spiritual union with Christ, you just cut yourself off from the flow of grace, of love, of sanctification, of growing in God. To agree with the lie that you're still a sinner as a Christian is to literally cut yourself off from any hope of growing up in God. The only way a Christian can grow up in God is the belief and knowing and reality of I'm clean, I'm righteous, and I'm one with Him in spirit. It's the only way you can grow in God. And I, the reason I get passionate about this is there are massive denominations in groups of believers who still believe that they have a sinful nature. It's a big deal. And it takes time because we've grown up, many of us have grown up in this culture to renew our minds to that fact. If I say I'm righteous, I say I've received a gift of God. I'm not saying my behavior is perfect. It's different. 
I'm saying I live by faith. I've received the gift of righteousness. My spirit is one with him. I'm clean. I'm clean and that's the source of our union. And now I have capacity to abide in Jesus through that spiritual cleanness and union. That's, that's where to, to abide, we have to go back and watch the righteousness section. To truly abide in Christ is to embrace and to walk in the righteousness of God. The reason you and I don't abide in Christ, you say, well, I feel like I go in and out of abiding, is because you've not learned to embrace righteousness. You've not truly received the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness is that robe, it's the nature of Jesus that is our touch point that no longer disqualifies me from God's presence. If I'm, if I'm righteous as He's righteous, then there's nothing inside of me that can pull back from Jesus. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the gift of righteousness is vital to abiding in the presence of God. It's vital. The reason why you go in and out is because your conscience gets defiled because you had this thought, because you were tempted, because you did this thing, and you lose sight and track of the righteousness of God that He gave you as a gift according to His Son that had nothing to do with you in the first place. I wish I could just... It's so... It's so... If It's so important. When you understand righteousness, the weight of it, you will literally, when you receive that gift as your own and you wear it and you never take it off, is when you learn to abide. Then you'll never, nothing will ever, you'll never judge yourself evil again. And therefore, you'll never withdraw from the presence of God. You'll live with a constant awareness of His nearness and presence. Now, you may not perceive it bodily, but it'll be a spiritual reality just as real as something physical. And that abiding that abiding is the foundation for the Christian. And the reason why I believe once again that there's so many issues in carnality and flesh in the church is because we've not, we, people do not understand this gift of righteousness. And so therefore we don't abide, therefore our fruit is sparse. And there's maybe a man here and there, but that's why we're so tempted for the, for the man of God syndrome because we see one man bearing so much fruit and we try to emulate what he did. Well, what did you do? How did you get there? Well, let me do that. Oh, you spent four hours a day with God? Now listen, four hours a day with God is awesome. You should spend four hours a day with God. <laughs> but if you spend four hours a day with God and you're not abiding, you can spend four hours a day with God and not abide. You had a question, Josker? Even if we seem to righteous. It have to be. Yeah. Because... Because we're no longer walking by the flesh. Now, if we sin, we repent. We do all the right things, the appropriate things in covenant with our Father. If I sin against you, I'm going to repent to you. And I'm going to repent to my Father. I'm going to confess my sins. I'm not talking about this hyper-grace weirdness where I just pretend like sin doesn't exist. You still deal with sin. I talk a lot about that in my book, Back to the Gospel. You, you confess your sin to God. It's a relational act that fuels intimacy but I'm talking about the core foundation of our union with God can't be changed. The covenant that I have with Him cannot be altered based on what I do, right or wrong. And that's the beauty of covenant. So let's keep reading, because we gotta, we gotta get to the fruit. I want, I want you to see this. 
You're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. Now let me pause and read uh, a deal about abiding, okay? Um, I looked up biting, mino, it's a Greek word, mino. Watch this. It means not to depart, not to leave, to continue to be present. Watch this. To maintain unbroken fellowship with one. In the mystic phraseology of John, God is said in Christ to dwell as it were within him, to be continually operative in him by his divine influence and energy. Something has established itself permanently within my soul and always exerts its power in me. I'm going to read that last one again. Here's what abiding means. Something or someone has established itself permanently within my soul and always exerts its power in me. The only way that happens is to receive and own and walk in the gift of right, of salvation and righteousness. It's the only way He's going to permanently establish Himself in your soul. This is why, can I show you what happens in the church? We go to church on Sunday or Wednesday night or whenever it is, and in that atmosphere and preaching and worship, it awakens God in my soul. He gets established in my soul because now faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God, and I'm fellowshipping with believers, and I leave that place and something happens, and all of a sudden, that awareness of God's presence, it begins to wane. It begins to fade. Why? Because we don't have this conscious awareness of righteousness. And we, we start to think and believe that those locations are where His presence dwells most, not realizing that His presence dwells at the seat of of a righteous born-again spirit, a temple of the Most High God, that's where He dwells. And we've not placed emphasis on the glory and the holiness of the human heart that God has chosen to make His home. And He goes, I no longer dwell in these buildings made by man or by a tent, but you've become the very ark of God. And to put value and to ascribe worth to that and to renew our minds around that is to grow in our awareness and consciousness of the presence of God. Oh, man, that's wild. <laughs> so he's, he says abide. Here's the other way. Here's the, here's the hood version of abide. Stay where I put you. You want me to just talk plain, not get all theological on you, Cody? Stay where I put you. God said, hey, I put you in my son. Don't move. Don't go anywhere. I saved you, made you righteous, and I put you in my son. Stop it. Don't go anywhere. Don't withdraw from that place. Adam withdrew from the presence of God because he judged himself evil. Don't do that anymore. You can't. You don't have the right or the authority to judge yourself evil because the cross once and for all has judged you lovely. It's judged you righteous. It's judged you valuable to the heart of God. So we no longer have the right to disqualify us from His presence as a born-again believer. You can't. If you get that, you get delivered, you repent, and you'll live in the presence of God the rest of your life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Living in His presence, check this, living in His presence doesn't mean that you're walking perfectly. 
it means that you have an awareness of an advocate, of a helper, and a source of life and strength, ever-present help in time of need. It means you'll still have need. You can live in the presence of God and still have need. You just now have access in proximity to your source of need versus what happens now is I have need. I have, I have these, these bad patterns. I pull myself away from God. I distance myself from the source of life, from the source of truth. And now I'm, I don't have access to that. Why? Not because he doesn't want to give it to me, but because I've pulled myself away from it. Christians are living in this every single day and they're frustrated and mad at God because he's not coming through. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The reason why we're continuing to hammer abide is because your fruit hinges solely upon your ability to abide in this. Okay? Now, let's keep reading. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How many of you in here, you want to bear much fruit? Yeah. We all want to bear much fruit. In the church, that's all we talk about is fruit. Well, how's your fruit? Tell me about your ministry. What they say when they say, tell me about your ministry or tell me about your life, they say, tell me about your fruit. That's what people want to know. Well, how many people got saved? How many people are touched? How many people give me the fruit of your life because then I can measure your impact. And here's what we've done. Because we've been so fruit oriented and not, and not Jesus oriented, we've now manufactured this. We've now felt the need and the compulsion to quantify our fruit instead of just letting fruit happen. Are you all with me? So we've tried to work to produce fruit, but biblically, Jesus said, abiding will produce fruit. This is why this scripture, if you're really honest with yourself, this scripture is very troubling to your flesh. He's saying the staying where I put you in covenant, you'll do the most for me. You'll accomplish the most for me when you stay where, where I put you and you don't move from that place. I'm not talking about activity. I'm talking about an inward reality. I'm talking about the motive of your heart. I'm talking about your mindset. He's saying the abundance of, of doing good things for me and bearing fruit will flow from this place of abiding. And our flesh hates that because our flesh wants to point to us and go, look what I did for God. But the branch, you know what's cool about the branch? The branch can't point to itself. It can't go, look what I did. If you really know the science of it, everyone knows that the source of life and that fruit flowed from that vine, not the branch. The branch was just a conduit of life and the fruit was formed on that branch. But let me make one other note about Jesus. Jesus is humble. Did you notice that the fruit doesn't come off the vine? How humble is he? He's like, I'm okay with the fruit hanging off of your tree, off of your branch. I'll give you the inside source. I'll be the inside source of all the goodness. Everything will flow from me. But the people will look at you and go, look at that fruit. Look at the fruit on that branch. You look at, a, you know, you look at these guys, Todd White and Bill Johnson, and you go, look at the fruit. And Jesus is just like, he's just smiling. He's smiling inside of them. He's like, oh, man, it's because they're abiding. You see someone with big fruit as they've learned to abide. Oh, 
how do you abide? You renew your mind to this reality of covenant and union with God. Without a concept of covenant, righteousness, salvation, union, you cannot abide. Why? Because you're going to strive to get, get, to get to that place of abiding. Here's how you know you're still, and again, I'm the chief of this. And so the reason I can talk this bold to you is because this is how the fathers talk to me. <laughs> he said, son, when you read abide, you, want, you ask me, what do I do? I asked him, I'm like, well, how do I abide? Have you ever asked that question? How do I abide? What do I do? <laughs> He's like, son, let me talk to you. And he just rebukes me. He's like, abiding is not what you do. It's staying where I put you. It's a, it's a constant awareness of where we are and what we've become in God. And we prove that we don't trust it when we feel like we have to do something to abide. Oh, reading my Bible, that's abiding. Praying is abiding. No, I can abide reading my Bible. I can abide while I pray, but I can also abide while I drive. I can abide while I make my kids lunch. I can abide while I do the dishes. Like the cool thing about abiding, and I want to paint this picture for you, is that you can abide 24 by 7 and have an ongoing spiritual encounter your whole day for the rest of your life. And again, I want to reiterate this because I think when you hear me say that, you associate encounter and being in the presence with one thing when reality is you can still have tempted thoughts or weakness or need and, and be in the presence of God. And our faith has to expand to allow that. God is okay being in the midst of your need and He wants to be present with you even if you're struggling with sin, struggling with things that you don't want. He wants to be near you to be your helper so that you can bear fruit. Just do a few more verses and, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. I know it's, it's getting time. Um, I love that He says that that the one who abides bears much fruit and that apart from him, you can do nothing. So this reality that I'm talking about is pretty much the most important thing for every Christian on their radar is I need to abide. So if I've been working for God and performing for God, for God, I need to repent and stop it. It's just not worth it. If you have a big ministry, if you're doing ministry and you know that you're doing it to attain something from God, cut it out, just stop and go back because God says all that you're doing is nothing if it's not from this place of union. And I've, I've had to do this in my life. In seasons of my life, the Lord just puts a, He just says, stop, shut it down. Go get back on your face. And, and just the getting on my face and seeking God is to, is to renew my mind and go, oh yeah, and it's a, it's a season of repentance. It's a season of renewing my mind and coming back to that place of rest and making Jesus big again and letting Him love me. I know when I'm not abiding because I, I lose track of his smile. One of the clearest ways I know I'm abiding is that when my soul is darkened to his smile and his affection. You hear me say that a lot, right? You hear me say that his smile, live under his smile, right? Y'all hear me say that? The reason I say that is because that is the source and flow of my abiding is his smile. That's how I know I'm abiding in their seasons of life, I, again, I'm just being real and authentic. I'm not some super anything. But when you live under his smile, good things happen. Fruit happens. And I can't, I can't quantify it. 
I can just point to it. And I know it's a reality, but I go through seasons in my life like, man, we're my where my wife and I are in this season is hard. Having five kids, seven and under is hard. It's work. There's just work. I don't feel like serving my wife all the time. I don't feel like serving my kids. You know, I come home and whatever. It's just like I want to be done with my day. And the Lord's like, you're not done. You're going to love your wife and kids, right? It's real. But then then I may not do it. I may not do it good because I get frustrated and I act out of my flesh. And then I go to bed and then I wake up and I just feel yucky. And like they'll go, there'll be a season of, of a few hours or a half a day or sometimes if it gets bad a week. And I realize I don't see his smile. And I live with this subtle sense of, of his displeasure because I lashed out at my kids because I didn't serve my wife well. And that subtle feeling of I'm not, I didn't do good. I didn't do good the past few days. My wife got into an argument with me and I didn't respond well. And then I, I look up three days later and I hadn't seen his smile. And I start questioning his affection for me. And in that place, can I tell you where the enemy's voice is really loud? If the enemy's voice is loud in your life, the, the clouds of unbelief have blinded you to his smile. And you start believing the lies that you're no good, that you're, a, that you're, you're never going to amount to anything. You're always going to be alone. That, that thing you're, you're wrestling with is always going to be there. That's how the devil talks. And all of a sudden, if you can come back to this place, and this is why the gospel is so important to fight the good fight of faith, is you're like, oh yeah, you're smiling over me. Why? Not because I, you smile over me doing bad, but because I'm in covenant with you and, and you, you said that would never change. My covenant's in the blood. This is the blood of the new covenant. My covenant, my relational access is in the blood. Your smile is towards me because of the blood. Then all of a sudden the clouds part, I see a smile. And that flow of glory and love comes to me again and I can abide again. And if I, if, I'm just telling you how this cycle happens. If you don't catch that, if you live without his smile and then you open yourself up to the enemy, here's what he will do. And everyone has a different default. But for me, I'll start working for God. Oh, I need it, man. I need I need to work for him. I need to work. Some people, it's they may wild out. They get so dis depressed and discouraged. They're going to go drink beer and look at porn, and that's their default. And I said this a few sessions ago. If you're seeing flesh manifest in your life, if you see the fruit of your flesh, you can trace it all the way back to not abiding. And many people are trying to deal with the fruit, the lust, the pornography, the, the alcohol, the drugs, the anger, the impatience, the apathy, the sluggishness. They're trying to deal with the fruit of their flesh, not realizing that it's because they've, they're not abiding. They're not living under his smile and they got away. And that's when the voice's enemy is tempting and, and deceiving because it feels true. That's where depression comes from. It feels true. I feel apart from God. I feel away from God. I feel like I've disappointed God because I know what I did. Like, listen, we know that if I yelled at my kids, that's not honoring God. I know that. And what the devil does is he plays on my conscience, my pure conscience. And he says, son, or he doesn't say son. He, he says, I'm so used to God speaking to me. And I, yeah, anyway, <laughs> when I'm telling people what spirits say to me, it's usually God. So, and I recognize it, but what he does tell me is he says, what you did was wrong. And I'm like, I know it's wrong. 
but it's internal, it's subtle. And you're like, you shouldn't have done that. You have a problem with anger. And he, and he just tries to get you to come into agreement with him. And if you do, you completely have turned away, removed yourself. People say sin separates you from God. Not because he separates himself from us. It's because I've turned my affection and attention away from him. It's really different. My sin separates my consciousness and awareness of his smile. That's why Hebrews 3 says, Do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will deceive you into believing that God doesn't love you and he's not smiling on you. So the believer's problem and why we're not bearing good fruit is because we lose track of His smile in the midst of our failures and weaknesses. Not realizing that it's His smile and affection that gets us to overcome those things. Does that make sense? Um, and I'll just finish with this because it's really important. Uh, and I know I'm just hitting you with a fire hose, but I don't really care. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Verse 7 they're thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Watch this, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If, you're, if you want your life to bring glory to Dad in heaven, He says, I want you to bear so much fruit. I want, I want your life that's cool. I want your life to, like when you think fruit, I want you to think of people in, in, in neighborhoods, in job environments, being touched by the love of God and the glory of God and the kingdom of heaven. When you think fruit, think that. Like God uses you because of your union with Him, because of your smile, because of your touch, because of your goodness, because of the power of God in you. He uses you to touch someone else. That's fruit. And, he's, and he says this, my father's glorified when you bear so much fruit. I actually want you to bear a lot of fruit. I want your life to have so much impact. I want your life to have so much like, like, uh, like weight wherever you go. By this, my father's glorified. And FYI, watch this. You're proving that you belong to me when you bear fruit. You're proving to people. So like the, the, the real Christian who's grounded in this never has to prove his ministry. He never needs a platform. He doesn't need anything to validate him because his life and the fruit of his life will actually bear witness of his union. Proof that you belong to Jesus is that your life is bearing good fruit. And the Father's glorified and you're living in that love. And that's what he says here. He goes, guys, I want you to know something. The same way the Father's loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. So you say, what does it mean to abide? Here's where we're, we're getting to. You stay in that place of receiving His love 24 by 7. That's what abiding means. All He's saying is, let me love you all the time. That's abiding. Can, I, can it be that simple? The sum total of Christianity and you having a fruitful life in God is this. This is the whole back to the garden journey. Let me love you. When? All the time. Well, how? Let me speak to you. Let me smile upon you. Let the affections of my heart flow to you. Let, like, like don't ever lose sight. Don't ever, don't ever get into unbelief that I love you, that I, that I don't love you. That's my challenge. That's my exhortation. If you get one thing from this, these 12 sessions, get this. Let God love you the rest of your life. And the only way you're going to do that is if the Messiah, the high priest, and the bridegroom judge is really big. 
It's the only way you're ever going to live in his love is if you build your life on the Messiah, on the high priest and the bridegroom judge. Those, that's the triune works of Jesus, which is the revelation of God's love towards man. And he says, hey, guys, I can't do anything else other than these three. This is the mighty proclamation of my love and goodness. I'll never change my mind about you. I got you born again. I sustain you and I'm coming back to marry you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. This is our inheritance. So, Father, we love you. We love you. We don't want to live another day <laughs> apart from your smile, apart from your affection. And I just ask, Lord, I know that your love is strong. It's as, it's as, it's as, it's jealous. It's as strong as death. And, and it is so powerful. There's nothing stronger than your love towards us. And I pray for everyone in this room right now, a fresh baptism of love. A fresh baptism of your love in Jesus' name. Come on, just open your hands, those areas that are unlovely, that you've judged yourself evil, that you've, you've said, oh, I haven't overcome this yet. I haven't gotten over this yet. Let, that's the area he wants to get to. Let him affirm you. Let him speak to you. Come on, don't just bring your heart to him. I know we've been studying, we've been talking a lot, but let's, let's let Jesus love us right now. All the places we're ashamed of, the, even the family line, there's some family line that you're ashamed of. He just loves you. Lord, let your love be poured out through your Holy Spirit right now. We welcome you. Your smile, your affection, your goodness, your goodness, God, your goodness. I just feel right now there's even people who you've doubted the goodness of God and you have no hope. There's certain situations with your finances and with your future that you don't think God's good and you've lost hope. And He says to you, He's good. He's good. He's good. God is good. Oh, He's so good. Wow. Wow. If you need to repent of unbelief, I encourage you to do that. That honors God. When you, when you recognize and acknowledge that you've been in unbelief in His love towards you, really what you're saying is, God, I've taken my eyes off of your cross and your Son and what you've done. And there's no condemnation or shame. It's just an acknowledgement, God, I, I don't want that. I want to live in covenant. I want to live in covenant with you. Holy Spirit, teach us to abide in the love of the Father. Highlight mindsets, Lord, that hinder us from abiding in the love of God. As the Father has loved Jesus, so Jesus, you love us today, right now. Weaknesses, failures, inadequacies, in all, you love us. It doesn't hinder your love. It doesn't restrict the flow of your love. Our weaknesses and failures do not restrict the flow in the, in the, in the freedom and the power of your love. You don't get hesitant to love us because we manifest humanity. 
because you were tempted in all ways like we are. Yet you were without sin and so you can sympathize with our weakness. And you're our high priest and our helper and our intercessor and our friend. And I call upon your name, Jesus. And I pray that you would manifest your love and your goodness and your friendship over every one of my brothers and my sisters. And that those weaknesses and places that we're ashamed of would be swallowed up by your love. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And like I said, this is the last episode of the Garden Series. So if you haven't listened to the other ones, go ahead and listen to them starting at the Garden. And if you have listened to all of them, then I bless you to enjoy life in the Garden.